Good morning. Um, today's first Bible reading is from Psalm 95. It's on page 599 in your church Bibles. Page 599, Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. We're now going to read from Hebrews chapter 3, page 1204 in your Bibles. Page 1204. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 to 19. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, 
Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Sorry, Musos, I'm just going to move these so I don't start reading the words of King of Kings, which are good words, but not the ones I'm going with. Well, everyone, my name's Josh. Great to see you all here. When you're, when you're holding something precious, uh, the key message for you to hear is don't let go. Uh, when I was about 12, uh, I got to hold the actual cricket World Cup. And as a cricket-obsessed boy, this is like the highest of high things that could happen to you. I would have sold both of my parents to get this chance again. Uh, I got to hug it. I got to kiss it. I got to hold it. But before I could do any of that, my, my friend who was responsible for holding it at the time, he said, I need to tell you something. The most important thing is don't drop it. Don't let go of this precious thing or I'm going to be in massive trouble. When you're holding on to something precious, it's important to hold firmly to it. Step it up a further, a little bit more significant one. Uh, a German guy, a couple of years ago, a tourist went overboard on a yacht and he spent over three hours at sea. He remembered an SAS training trick that if you get your jeans and tie a knot in them at the bottom, you can trap air and it acts as kind of like a flotation device. And he said, this was the thing that saved my life. If I let go of this pair of jeans, I would have died. When you have something precious, it's desperately important to hold firmly to it. To step it up further, kind of to the highest level, if you are a Christian, you have something immeasurably precious. Eternal life, salvation, relationship with the living God, it is yours. And so now what? What's the priority for you now? If you've been a Christian for a little bit, what's your goal? Hebrews 3 says, hold firmly to the hope you started with. What you have is so precious, don't let go. If you lose Jesus, you lose everything. That's the key message of this passage. Let me, let me show you. Have a look at verse 12. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Don't fall away. Don't drift. Don't let go, whatever you do. Verse 6. We are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Heaven and hell are real and you have a precious salvation in Christ, hold firmly to the end. The key is, it's not how you start, it's how you finish, or rather, that you finish. Now, if you're here and you're someone who hasn't started, if you're not a follower of Jesus, it's great that you're here. For you, the same thing is at stake. 
It's not that you might lose the most precious thing in the universe, but you'll see that you can gain it. But if you are a Christian, it's all for nothing if you don't finish as one. So how do you do it? How do you hold firm? What do you need to hear if you're going to hold firm to Jesus for the long term? We're going to hear Hebrews C. We're going to hear the positive of what we should do, and we'll see the negative of what not to do. Okay? So point one, the positive, consider Jesus. Have a look there at verse one. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. In a passage that's all about holding firm, not letting go of what you have, the writer starts by reminding us of who we are and what it is that we do have. Let me see three things. First, holy. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are holy. You are established as something different, something special, set aside for a purpose, for God's purposes. You are holy. Second, your family, brothers and sisters, in the family of God. And third, you share in a heavenly home, a heavenly calling. This is not your home. You're a citizen of heaven. Spiritually, they're now in Christ, physically headed there when Jesus calls you home. It's hugely significant that the chapter starts this way. See, it's not that you could or kind of could have some of these things one day. It's this is who you are now. This is what you share in now. It's not a potential reality. This is who you are in Christ. Don't miss or skip over these things. You are holy. You are part of the family of God. Heaven is your home. And yet, the warning is, take care. Lest you fall away from the living God and lose it all. These things are so precious. Don't let it go. And so what does the writer say to these Christians? First, consider Jesus. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Dwell on Jesus. Notice him carefully. Contemplate him regularly. In the midst of the suffering, temptation and distractions of this world, focus intently on him. That's how we're to travel in life. So what is it that we're to consider about Jesus and how does it help? Two things. First, Jesus is the bridge. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Foundational to what we confess about our faith is that Jesus is the apostle and high priest. Now, those aren't words we commonly use a lot. In fact, This is the only time in the whole Bible Jesus is called an apostle. But it's only because of these things about Jesus that heaven is our home and Jesus is our brother. So these are both words about the role of Jesus being a bridge between us and God. See, apostle means sent one. Jesus had his apostles, those who were sent by him, who were kind of his ambassadors to speak his words and represent him to the world. Jesus didn't just come to the world on his own, off his own bat. He was sent by his Father to speak for God to humans and to represent God among us. Actually, not just to represent God, but to be God among us, that we might know him and his purposes for us. Jesus is an apostle. He's a sent one. 
And he's also the high priest. So he doesn't just come down from God to us. He goes to his father for us. The high priest was the one who served in the Old Testament temple. He, he was appointed to bring the sacrifices before God in the most holy place where God dwelt. He was the only one who could get that close to God. And through his sacrifices, the ones he made on the behalf of the people, God's anger was turned aside so they might have salvation and relationship and forgiveness. And that is what Jesus does for us. He goes to the place we can't, into the very presence of God, and offers the sacrifice of his blood that we might have salvation, relationship and life. Jesus is the bridge. He's the apostle and he's the high priest of our confession who's come down from God to us and goes to the Father for us which is the only reason we have life and share in the heavenly calling. That is what we're to consider about Jesus. When you dwell intently on that, you'll not let go of him quickly. Consider Jesus. But that's not all to consider about Jesus. That will help you to hold on to him. Uh, Verse 2 to 5, we get this comparison between Jesus and Moses. And kind of the point of it is verse 3. For Jesus has been counted worthy of much more glory than Moses. Jesus is greater than Moses. And we all go, sure. So what? Huge brag. But for the original people reading this letter, this is a huge deal, right? Moses is as big as it gets. In fact, they were tempted to let go of Jesus in order to go back and follow Moses. That is hard for us to get our heads around, but Moses really is the giant of the Old Testament. He met God at the burning bush. He he led the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He he parted the Red Sea, received the Ten Commandments. Uh, He's credited with writing kind of the first five books of the Bible. He is a huge figure. In our passage, Hebrews 3, he's commended for his faithfulness as a servant in God's house. Verse 2, just as Moses also was, Faithful in all God's house. Verse 5. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. God's house is his people and, and Moses served the people of God faithfully. He had every reason to give up. The people regularly rebelled against him, did the opposite of what he said. He remained faithful. He's worthy of great glory. But... Moses only served as one who was in God's house himself. Not so with Jesus, verse 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Jesus is also praised for his faithfulness. He also had every reason to not go through with his God-given task, to suffer and die for those who don't deserve it and rebel against him, at any and every opportunity. Yet like Moses, he remained faithful. But comparing him to Moses is kind of like comparing a house to the builder of a house. Have a look at verse 3. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honour than the house itself. Moses served in God's house, but Jesus built the house. He made the people of God. He's more worthy of glory than Moses. Don't let go of Jesus and follow something that is 
lesser. Now, not many of us, I take it, are tempted to give up on Jesus to follow Moses. Yet all of us, I think, are tempted to hold more loosely to Jesus and more tightly to something far less worthy. Do you know what it is for you? If this wasn't the letter to the Hebrews, but the letter to Josh Phillips or the letter to you, what would the writer be trying to convince you of that is worth far less glory than Jesus and yet you hold tightly to? If it didn't just pop into your head, I take it Satan has got you right where he wants you. We need to elevate our view of Jesus to be so great that we don't kind of daydream about the other things that we think are so good and so much better. We need to dwell on the greatness of Jesus to consider him. Because verse 6, we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Our confidence and hope is in Christ the Great One, sent by the Father who came down to live, suffer, die and rise for our sins and who brought the sacrifice of his very life up into the presence of his Father on our behalf so that we can share in the hope of heaven. Hold fast to him. If you lose Jesus, you lose everything. doesn't matter how you start, it matters that you finish. Hold fast to your confidence and hope. Consider Jesus. That's the positive. Then the writer moves on to the negative. Point two, don't harden your hearts. Have a look at verse seven. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. First thing to notice, which is a bit of a side point, but is hugely significant to our understanding of God speaking in the Holy Spirit. How do you know if the Holy Spirit is speaking personally to you, presently, right now? You might expect to to have some kind of experience, right? To kind of feel something. Verse 7, as the Holy Spirit says, kind of present tense, he speaks presently and personally to you in when you read Psalm 95. That's the quote that comes next from Psalm 95. Isn't that hugely fascinating and massively significant? The wisdom of God is so different to what we come up with, isn't it? When you read this book, the very words of God, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you presently, personally. And so what's he saying here in this quote from Psalm 95? This is the key headline. If you hear God's voice, which you're hearing now, do not harden your hearts. If you want to hold firm and make it to the end, don't become hard to God's word. When God speaks, listen like your life depends on it. Because it does. That's the headline. Then the rest of the psalm kind of fills it out for us by giving us an example from the past as a warning. That's what it's talking about when it says, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. It, it refers back to Israel after they'd been rescued out of Egypt. God rescued them and promised to bring them to a land where they'd enjoy all the blessings of God. 
But the whole journey from, Israel, uh, from Egypt there, they complained, disobeyed, didn't listen to God. And kind of the climactic moment is when they get to the edge of the promised land. God said, go in. I'll give you victory over the people living there so you can live in this land I'm giving to you. And Israel thought, well, let's just have a look for ourselves before we do, just to see if it seems reasonable, right, before we do what God says. And so if we look and if we see a bunch of kind of scrawny Josh Phillipses, that'll be great. We'll go in, we'll beat them up, take their lunch money. It'll be easy. You kind of be parade by, by noon. If we go in and we find a bunch of jacked Andy Bootses, that's a different story. And so they look and they find a nation full of Andy Bootses. Can you imagine what that would be like? Right? You could walk up to any of them and have a great conversation all day. It'd be wonderful. Until you're told that you have to fight them. And you'd realise you're in trouble. And when Israel realised this scary nation, when they see them, instead of listening to God and going in, they harden their hearts to his word and turn around and go the other way. And so, verse 11, God swore in his wrath, they shall not enter my rest. They hardened their hearts to God's word, and so they lost everything. And the Holy Spirit is saying to you, don't be like them. When God speaks, listen like your life depends on it, because it does. If you want to hold firm and make it to the end, don't become hard to God's word. Now, you might be thinking... That's not me. I'd never do that. The warning is here because it happens. Don't think it can't happen to you. See, we tend to become hard to the words slowly, right? No one just wakes up and kind of decides to reject God and not listen to him. It happens slowly. It happens slowly when we stop listening to God in our day-to-day life. Life gets busy, we stop being in the word and bit by bit, we just grow a bit harder to it. Maybe you just grow different priorities in life. You start to loosen your grip on Jesus and tighten your grip on something else and you slowly harden your heart. Maybe it's because you know that if you read it, it'll say uncomfortable things about how you're living and I don't really want that and so I'll stop being in the Word and you become hard to it. Well, maybe it's not that we don't stop, maybe we don't stop being in the Word, but we slowly start to change it. You come to the Word with a set of conditions where if it says something I don't like, then I won't listen to that. Or it can't mean that, right? It's got to mean something different, and so you find a whole crowd of people who support you in that kind of thinking, and it can't mean that about roles in family and church life. It it can't mean that about who I love and who I sleep with. It it can't mean that you've become hard to the word. Having a soft heart is to say, wherever the Bible takes me, whatever it says, I will receive it as God speaking to me today and obey with gladness. That's the negative warning. Don't. Harden your hearts. Then we get two positive commands that I take it will help us to hold fast and to not harden our hearts. What should you do if you want to hold fast to your confidence and hope? Verse 12. Take care, brothers, 
lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Take care. Be on guard for your heart. Be deeply aware of this real and present danger. Take care to be in God's word and be soft to God's word that you might hear him and hold firm to him and his promises. Take great care. And verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Whose job is it to make sure you hold firm to the end? Everyone. Everyone's job. Holding firm is a team sport. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened. Exhort one another. Encourage one another. Do everything you can to guard the person sitting next to you from the deceitfulness of sin. To help them be soft to the word. Help them consider Jesus. Help them be firm to the end. Wouldn't that change the relationship you have with the person sitting behind you, in front of you, next to you? If you knew that you were in their life for the purpose of helping them hold firm to the end. Today, would your conversations be different after church? Today, would your prayer life be different? Today, would you invest your money differently? Today, would you manage and prioritise your calendar differently to, to be places where you can exhort one another? Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So, is the goal of this passage to make you work harder to hold on? Is it saying, go to the spiritual gym and work on your grip strength? It certainly is saying, don't let go of Jesus, no matter what. But it's not saying it all comes down to your grip strength. We, are, we did a grip strength test in my growth group this week, and I can report that all of us struggled to pick up just one 20-kilo plate with one hand. I won't tell you who won, because that would be bragging. But none of us could even pick up a 25-kilo plate, let alone hold on to the weight of salvation by ourselves. The key is, what is the difference between Israel and us? The warning is rightly, don't be like Israel who harden their hearts. But what could possibly make us think that we'd be any different? I mean, they saw amazing signs and wonders from God in front of their eyes. Have you ever thought, if I could just see God do something amazing in front of me, the Christian life would be easy for me to believe in forever? That is not the answer. Look at Israel. It didn't work. The answer we find in chapter 10. So the book doesn't finish here in chapter 3, and so we don't get the full answer until a bit later. So just flick over, chapter 10, verse 15. It's not going to come up on the screen, so flick across. 
chapter 10, verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. This is Hebrews quoting another Old Testament passage. This time it's Jeremiah 31. Uh, Jeremiah is a book full of God pronouncing judgment on Israel for having hard hearts that have disobeyed and forsaken their God. Yet in the middle of the book, God makes this amazing promise that one day things will be different. One day he'll make a new covenant with his people where instead of judging them for their hard hearts, he'll do something in their hearts to fix the root of the problem, which is their heart. He will write his law on their hearts. He'll change their hearts. He'll he'll do a work in their hearts to enable them not to be hard like Israel. If you are a Christian, God has done a work in your heart by his spirit. He lives in you. He works in you. In the new covenant established by Jesus' blood, God has taken the initiative and is working in your heart that you might believe and have a soft heart that can trust him and hold on to him. See, there can be no confidence in the strength of your grip. But there's great confidence in the God who works in your heart that you might hold on to him. Do you see? So, does that mean the first 18 minutes of the sermon's been a waste? Don't actually worry about the warning. Just don't worry about doing anything because God's doing everything and he's got you. Just, just let go and let God. No. The warning's there for a reason. The writer didn't kind of remember something in chapter 10 that he forgot about in chapter 3 and kind of wished he deleted it, but they didn't have backspace. he just written it down. The warning's there for a reason. That God is at work in you doesn't mean don't do anything and don't worry about holding on to Jesus. It is, in fact, the opposite. We do everything we can to hold on because God is working in us to help us do it. The warning still stands. Hold firm. Don't fall away. Everything is on the line with this. Work at considering Jesus, the one who is greater than Moses, who was sent by his Father to us and goes to his Father for us. Don't harden your, word, your heart to the word of God. Listen to his voice with a soft heart regularly taking great care to to gladly obey wherever his word takes you. Make sure you exhort one another daily that we might reach the end together, all with the confidence that we are not doomed like Israel, that it's not up to your grip strength, that you can hold fast because God is doing a powerful work in your heart by his spirit. It's not don't worry about holding on because God is at work, It's hold fast and do everything you can because God is working in you. If you're someone who doesn't follow Jesus, all of this applies to you in the sense that without Jesus, there is no hope. Heaven and hell are real. And without Jesus, you don't share in the hope of heaven. So come to him. Put your faith in him as Lord and Saviour. He desperately wants to include you in the hope of heaven. If you're here this morning and 
you're sure that none of this is a danger for you. You won't drift. You won't loosen your grip on Jesus. You need to repent. Stop being hard to this part of God's word, which says you do need to be wary of this danger. Hear the warning. Repent and take great care. If you're someone who's loosened your grip and you know it, you've been dabbling in sin and you're, you're justifying it, you're ignoring it, you've stopped being in God's word or you've stopped being soft to it, come back. We've heard what's at stake. Come back. If you're not drifting or loosening your grip, but you're terrified that you might, don't worry about where you'll be in five years' time. Be soft to God's word today. Hear God's word today and make sure you hear it tomorrow. Turn up to things where you can be encouraged and exhorted by others and know that God's spirit is at work in you empowering you to hold on. And as all of us hear the warning and priority of Hebrews 3, it doesn't matter how you started. It matters that you finish. If you lose Jesus, you lose everything. So hold firm together. Reach the end together that we might enjoy salvation forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the precious gift of your Son, that he came down to us to live, suffer, die and rise for our sins, and that he has gone before you into your very presence, that we might have forgiveness and life forever. Father, we pray you might help us to hold firm to this wonderful salvation. Please help us to consider Jesus daily. Guard us against hardening our heart to your word. And may we together encourage one another to reach the end. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.